That's a wonderful thing to sing and mean from, all your, from the bottom of your heart. Lord, I want to give all my life to you. As a young person, that's a big statement. For someone that's maybe 70, 80, 90 years old, they're saying, Lord, I give all my life to you. I don't know how much is left, but I give the rest to you. That's still a big statement, but for someone who's young to come and say, Lord, I want to give it all, that really pleases the Lord. Amen. I want to welcome you all to the house of the Lord. It's good to see you, each one. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. I wasn't sure if I'd sing another song, but I, I won't. It's okay. Brother Seth did a fine job. Amen. I enjoyed the song service. I like singing the songs that pertain to today. The greatest love story is talking about today. Singing songs about the sound of freedom. The mighty judge came down 1963 and all these things, or 33, and all these things happened. My goodness. What an age we're living in. What a day that we're living in. Amen. 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 Well, maybe as we get into the word, we'll start pulling on the word more. It's okay. You don't have to pull on my statements. I understand. Amen. First Samuel chapter 13. I want to take a title tonight of the forgotten harp player. The forgotten harp player. If we could turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Amen. Trust you all had a good week this week. Yeah, some had good, some I don't know, a little bit. It was all right. Hey, it's Friday evening now. You can just relax. Just take a deep breath. The week's over. If you have to work tomorrow really early, I apologize. But uh, we'll try not to keep you too long. But there will be some refreshments afterwards. I believe Sister Sandy again is taking care of that. And so we can just enjoy some fellowship together. Nobody has to run. Nobody has to leave. And nobody has to close too early. Thank you. There's an amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to ask Brother Marshall if you'd just read that out real loud. 13, 13, and 14. Amen. Amen. I'm going to refer back to this scripture, not just in this service, but in some to come, because what Samuel is, is saying to Saul, we know this is, this is the time where Saul goes out and he's supposed to destroy the, the, the entirety of the enemy, and he brings back some of the best sheep, the best ox, and the best of this, the best of that, with a good intention, saying, I want, to, I want to sacrifice it to the Lord. I've got good intentions in it. And he brings back the king of the enemy. But Samuel recognizes saying that God's rejected you in doing this, and he says you've done foolishly, but he, he begins to lay out to him the pattern that God's looking for. And he says God's going to choose a man, or he has chosen, he has sought out a man after his own heart. 
And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. This actually, this verse plays quite a role in the, in the, um, in the jealousy that Saul has over David because Samuel in this verse lays out, this is the kind of man that God's looking for. And immediately Saul begins to see in David and realize he fits the pattern. He fits the one that God's looking for. Because Saul begins to have insight that no one else really seems to have and seem to saying, this is the guy that God's setting up for the kingdom. He's going to be the next king to the point where he'll even tell Jonathan at one point, as long as David's alive, you'll never be king, Jonathan. How come you're his buddy? Because Saul recognized the pattern that God was looking for a certain individual, certain character. Amen. May the, may the, let's just, before we sit down, maybe we should have a word of prayer together. Amen. Maybe just from where you're standing, Brother Philip, why don't you pray? They have your hard wooden seats. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful to be here. I could say it like Seth said it. I'm happy. So it was short and sweet and to the point, and we got it. I'm happy. Amen. We appreciate it. Amen. How many are happy to be here? How many are happy to be Christian tonight? How many are happy to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I'm happy to know that he's risen from the dead and he's alive forevermore. Amen. That his word is yea and amen and it'll never fail. I'm happy to know that you can put your trust completely in God and he'll never fail you. Amen. amen. We're getting less and less though. I should just keep going on. Eventually maybe we'll all just be quiet. But I don't know. Brother Andrew. No, God is infinite. Omnipotent. He's, he's omnipresent. He's infinite. He'll never fail. Amen. God, if we put our, if we make a sports team our God, we will be disappointed a lot. It's just how it is. It doesn't matter what sports team it is. I'm not picking on any sports team in particular. They all lose at some point. They all end up winning at some point. They all lose at some point. If you make a person your God, you will be disappointed at some point. Young man, if you make women your God, you will be disappointed at some point. Amen. Sisters, if you make a young man and say, my husband will be my God, you will be disappointed at some point. Men will fail. Women will fail. Teams will fail. All things of men will fail. But he says, my word will never pass away. Amen. And it's not just, well, I make him my God, therefore I'll never be disappointed. No, he says, those that would keep his commandments. God is not one that you just make him your God. He says, I will be your God. In other words, he makes you his people. Amen. So you are his choosing. He is not necessarily our choosing, but he chose us. And because he chose us, we can choose him. It was because he loved us, we can love him. But the Branham would say, man never sought God at any time. God sought men. God looked for us. He made us his choice. And because of that, and we live for him, and as long as we are willing to live in subjection and surrender to the word of God with our lives, then we will not be disappointed. The disappointment comes when we want to live our own way and according to our own choosing and do whatever we want and then say, why doesn't God heal me? 
Why doesn't God deliver me? Oh my, I just, uh, sorry, this is just for free. I guess this is some excitement on my heart. This really isn't in the subject, but I just, I love the Lord and I really love his word. And it's amazing how it's just so real and so uh, infinite and it's, it's eternal. It is the eternal thoughts of God. When you begin to get into the word, I'd encourage you to begin to study the word of God. And don't just take it and say, well, I got up in the morning and I read a few minutes of the word of God. No, you're a young person that, that Paul begins to write to a young man named Timothy and says, study to show thyself approved. Studying the Word of God is not like studying a textbook where you could take it and just try and memorize it. Memorizing the Word of God will only go so far. Amen. I, I, have, a, I have a son, my oldest son, who's phenomenal at memorizing the Word of God. He does an incredible job. And when the Sunday school teachers say, well, just memorize, you know, just the sword of the, sword of the Word and the, the helmet of salvation and the feet shot. I mean, he took it all the way from Ephesians 6, 11, all the way through to 18. And he just read it word for word and memorized it all right down, all on his own. Let me be honest with you. But memorization only takes you so far. That doesn't give you the Holy Ghost. That doesn't give you even the meaning of what it's talking about. But rather, I would encourage you, you've got all kinds of tools at your disposal. How many of you have a device? How many of you have a device? Go ahead and put your hand up. Some got two hands up. Some got one. Yeah, every, pretty much everyone's got a device. If you don't have a device, one day you will have a device at some time, I'm sure. We all have these lovely devices that... that, that, that that we're looking at, and yes, it is the forgotten harp, H-A-R-P, harp player. And, and, and we will we'll look into this because um, we all have these devices that we can study the Word of God on, and we can study all of these things, and it's not just something to read, but it's something that we can, we can delve into, and you can get into the meaning of it. There's, there's several programs that you can look at. You can look at one that's called the Blue Letter Bible, where you can look at a word and look at a scripture. You can look at the Greek in behind it. You can look at the Hebrew in behind it. It will help you. It will help you be able to understand the Word of God a little bit better. And I'd encourage you, you say, well, but Andrew, I'm not a minister. I'm not gifted in that way, or maybe I'm just a sister. I feel like that's not really my place. No, if you have a question, you have ministers to ask. You have deacons to ask. You have ones that are studying the Word of God that can help you in these kinds of things. But it'll help you to understand what God's Word is meaning to you. It'll make the promises of God more real to you. Amen. Amen. Now, as we read this scripture, as we, we, we could turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, we'll get back into David a lot more because 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1 was a very familiar scripture to all of us, and, and, and maybe we'll read it all together. It talks about David and Goliath and, and the armies of, of, the, of, Egypt, or of Egypt, the armies of Israel and the armies of, of the Philistines that have gathered themselves together. And 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1 begins out and says this. It says that the armies, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And they were gathered together at Shoko. Shosho? How do you say that? Shoko. Thank you. I'll take it. I heard somebody say that. We're going with that one. Which belongeth to Judah. And pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Aphesdamim. I literally listened to this this morning uh, on audio version, and I still can't pronounce it properly. But that's okay. That's, that's some of the, the old Hebrew words and names and places. Thank God my salvation is not based on memorizing the word properly. 
But, but these, I want you to notice in this verse, these places, they belonged to Judah. And the Philistines gathered their armies in a place that they were now intruders. They were now squatting on land that didn't belong to them. Now, if you just take the word of God, the armies of Israel had every promise of God behind them to inflict major damage to the Philistines. Because they were on their land. And God gave them promises to say, listen, this is your land. I'll fight for you in this land. Don't worry about this. This belongs to Judah. I told you to go out and cast them out. I told you to do all these things. So there was no reason for them not to be able to just drive them out. But something began to take place. And Saul and the man of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. So this was not just... Guys coming together in a camp and guys coming together in a camp. I just want to spell this out for reason as we're still in the life of David. But uh, um, these, these were things that there was strategy at play. There was great men that had thought this through in their mind. There was people that had taken time to, to think about what would be the best way to lay out the troops in this valley against the troops in that valley. And how about they've, they've gathered this way, and, but we're going to come around and we're going to make sure we've got a flank covered and this flank covered. And we're going to make sure we've got the right vanguard in the right place and we've got the right rear guard to make sure that we're not going to be surrounded and we're going to be okay. We've got a fortification. Who's got the high ground? Who's got the low ground? There's great minds that have thought through all of these things and put it all together for a purpose. They thought they were going about in the right direction and they consulted with captains and with, with generals and you had the General Abner was there and he decided that he had his way which was best and they laid it all out in this way and thousands of men over here and thousands of men over there and I'm just painting this picture to help you understand this wasn't just a, an absolute uh, mess of uh, unorganized chaos. This was an organized army against an organized army. This was great men that thought we've put together the best program for this to be able to work. And we know the story. It didn't work. But the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. That is a high ground standoff. That works when you have long range weapons like guns. But when you're fighting with swords and spears, it's really hard to get the guy on the other mountain. You gotta have a really big arm to throw a spear a really long ways. In other words, there wasn't any fighting going on. It was just taunting. It was just, come on, who's gonna let go of the high ground? And give up their best position in order to come down and meet us down the valley? Who's gonna be the first to budge? And there came out a champion from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a helmet and brass upon his head, and he was armed with the coat of mail that weighed the coat of... The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Brother Andrew did not look into how all of these things fit and how much it weighed and try to get it all so you could understand it. I think we've all been through that plenty of times. And exactly what this giant looked like. I could have put a picture up on there to see this is what Goliath looked like. We know. And then sometimes we put those images in our mind and we say this is exactly what, what Goliath looked, at, looked like. But we have to understand in our day and age, we're never going to find a giant that looks like that. That we are called to defeat. 
You're, you could go around your whole life trying to look for some great big six cubits in a span and great big heavy brass coat of mail on them and great big shield and a shield bearer and all these things and a weaver's beam of a spear and there's so much debate over what exactly that meant. Was it this big, this big, this big? How tall was it? How big was a weaver's beam? And they, 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 they have different thoughts on it, but really it was just a big spear. But in all of it, 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 it it's, it's of little importance exactly what it looked like to us today. But what is of importance is that it was an impossible odd. That it seemed like there was no way that you could overcome this challenge. That, that there was somebody, it began to describe a, a, a situation that was both terrifying, caused anxiety, caused fear, even caused depression, caused all kinds of, of, of feelings in the hearts of the soldiers and the king of Israel that they were only willing to cower in their tents. They said all of, these, all of these things, verse 6, Brother Ethan, it says, And he had the greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head was 600 shekels of iron. One, one bearing a shield went before him. So it wasn't just, well, there's this great big guy, but no, now there's two of them. You ever thought about that before? Now he's saying, come and bring your champion out, but there's not just one of me, there's actually two of me. I got another guy with me here. That he's, he's, he's my shield bearer. We could go into what a shield bearer was, but once again, it's not the point. It says, and he, and he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to battle, to set your battle in array? In other words, why did you go through all this work to have the best program? Why did you set up everything in such a way? And let me tell you something, the devil still does that today. Why did you get yourself ready for church? Why did you come and sit in the pew? Why did you come early and pray? Why did you sing songs? Why was there a song service? What was the point? You'll still never defeat me. Why did you go through all of this work in order to try and get the best opportunity for God to come on the scene because it's all for nothing? No, it's not for nothing. Had the Israelites just taken courage, it would have been for a purpose and they would have been victorious. But because they lost heart. I feel like I'm going way too slow here. He says, am I not a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man of, uh, for, for you and let him come down unto me. In verse 9 it says, and if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. This was not an odd thing back then. It was normal, it's documented in history, that it was, it was normal to give this kind of a challenge. If I've got a challenge, then why does everybody have to die? Hollywood has glorified it nowadays, but it was a thing that happened back in the day where they would say, why, why would we fight our armies against you? Why don't you just bring out your champion and my champion? Not very often did it ever happen, because quite often somebody that had a bigger army said, no, no, let's fight. We got a better army, why would I, why would I give up my big army for, your, for one-on-one challenge here? The only way it ever worked was when it was a bluff. And the bluff was taken. Because that's what it always was. The Philistines knew if we cannot defeat the army, we cannot defeat the God of the Israelites. There's no way. History proved over and over and over and over again. We can't defeat the God of the Israelites. But if we can bluff them, then we got them. 
And Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, we look at that in hindsight, looking, you know, it would be almost 3,000 years later, almost, and begin to look at that and go, man, why were they so afraid? Everybody had a reason that they thought was good enough. Saul could say, I'm the king. If I go down there and I die, what's my, what's my kingdom going to be without me? I just give it all up. So Abner could say, I'm the general. Somebody's got to lead the troops after our, gen, after our champion takes their champion on. I, I'm needed for this. Everybody had their reason. Quite often, probably quite common among them was the reason of, well, if so-and-so's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Because they're a better soldier than I'm a soldier. I was just meleeing with them, and I was just giving one-to-one combat training with them, and we were just wrestling there, and they beat me nine times out of ten. There's no way in the world I'm going to do it if he's not going to do it, because they're better than I am. We get that way in church, too, in our Christian walk with the Lord. If they can't overcome it, I can't overcome it. We did a sword drill, and they got every scripture, and if they're not going to overcome it, man, there's no way I'm ever going to. I ain't nobody. They, they got everything going on. I, don't, I think they got a prayer life. But they dress so modest. They, they, they live so holy. They talk the talk all the time. If they're not going to do it, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to overcome this odd. They all had their reasons. They thought it was, it was legitim, legitimate reasons that they thought would, would, would work for them. But if, if we read on and we'll go to, to 1 Samuel chapter 17 again, verse 32. Let's just take a large jump down to verse 32 because we kind of touched largely on a lot of those portions in the middle of there on Wednesday or on Sunday and then the last young people's as well. But if you go down to verse 32, he says, And David said unto Saul, because we know that the, the David went about saying, What shall be done? And then finally we come into it where it was rehearsed before Saul. And Saul fetches for the lad and brings him in. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. What a backhanded compliment. (laughs) All of them are afraid. All of their hearts are failing. And David just comes into the king's tent and points it out. says, don't let anyone's hearts fail because of this guy. Let me take him on. I'm not afraid of him. And he goes on into the next verse and he says, um, what verse are we at? Verse 33. And says, or verse 30, yeah, 33. It says, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. How many here are youth? Come on. How many here are youth? Did y'all just get old in the last five minutes or what? We're all youth here. It's just come on. You're just a young person. Who in the world do you think you are? This guy, he's been a, a warrior from his youth. David's going, yeah, I'm a warrior now in my youth. I'm in my prime. He's not in his prime anymore. I'm not worried about him. He might think he's all strong, but God's with me. 
And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his hand. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Hallelujah. David didn't choose which one. David didn't say, I'm going to have to go cut his head off. I'm going to have to do this. No, he said, he'll be like one of those. Either the stone will kill him or the knife will kill him. One or the other. But either way, I'm going to be victorious. Amen. And then he, and he says, and David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto him, David, go and the Lord be with thee. Hallelujah. Something about it had convinced the king to say, all right. Nobody else offered. Everybody else seems to be a coward. Not me, though. I got my reason. Come on. Saul was looking at it saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm a coward and you're a better man. No, no. He says, no, everybody else is a coward. You're just, but you're just a youth, but I've got my reason as to why I'm not going. I'm justifying myself. But, all right, if you're going to be the one, you go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can with you. Then we know he tried to do what he could when he said, and Saul, Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he was essayed to go, and he, for he had not proved it. Oh, I love that. David wouldn't go because that was not his experience. So this, this whole thing, it's all fine, and it is weapons of war. You with me? It is absolutely weapons of war. It's not like he was giving him a piano and said, go fight. No, he wasn't giving him a guitar and saying, sing him to death. He wasn't giving him a harp. He wasn't giving him anything. He said, no, here's a weapon of war. Here's a sword. Here's a helmet. Here's a breastplate. Here's a shield. Here's everything you need to fight with. And David said, but I, this is not my experience. It's important, and we're going to get into that right away here because this, this is an important part of overcoming the enemy. It says, and, 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 and I cannot go with these, and I have not proved them. And David put them off of him, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, from which he had even in the script, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Amen. And another a few verses down, it would say that when, when they finally come after the talking was done, David ran at the Philistine. Amen. He was not afraid. His heart was not trembled. His heart, he was in no wise afraid of what was about to happen. He knew that the battle was the Lord's. And he chose, he went down and he chose these five stones. And as he got down to the river, I want you to consider this because five stones do not become smooth overnight. It takes years, decades, even centuries for stones to be smoothened down to that perfect this wasn't a powered tumbler that God had sitting there plugged into the wall and it's making the stones with just the right concoction. No, no, this was just a brook. And God had stones laid out there just perfect. But they weren't, that David just happened to come down and pick out just the right five. And it's a valley actually known for its smooth stones. And and God saw to it that there was a particular stone right where David would go down to the stream and he would pick those up. Those stones, stones and rocks represent revelation. Let me just drop this in here for you because the revelation you need to overcome the problem 
will be there when you get there. This is important. David didn't come with a bag full of rocks. When, he, when, when, when Jesse sent him down to go and give his, his brother some loaves of bread and the captains, these, these nine cheeses that he brought with him, he didn't go down there and David thinking on the way going, now what, what could possibly happen? Now maybe there's a chance, I, you know, I, I, I might meet somebody else, so maybe I should stop by somewhere else and pick up some other, maybe some butter or something for somebody else. And maybe I, I might meet a bear, so I better pick up, you know, did I bring my sling with me? And I, okay, but I got no rocks, so I better go get some rocks. And well, I might meet a giant, so I better, no, no, he, none of these things are on his mind. He went down there with an empty script bag. He'd given up the loaves of, and he'd given up the cheeses. And he was left with nothing. And he just had his sling and he had his script bag and he had his, 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 his staff. And he, this is what he had in his hand. And he said, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I need some stones. So he went down to where the problem was at. And he got himself five smooth stones. The revelation he needed to overcome was right there waiting for him right next to the problem. There's no reason for us because the Bible says take care for nothing. In other words, don't worry for anything. Why? Because the revelation you need to cross that bridge will be there when you get there. Just keep walking with God. He'll make sure if that's the right door to step through, he's going to make sure the door is open. Amen. If it's not the right door, he'll open a different one for you. You need to keep walking with the Lord. Don't sit down. Amen. We know the story of, 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 of Christian and a great burden he was bearing. Paul Bunyan, I think it was, that would write that story of, 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 of Pilgrim's Progress. And as he would come, and he'd come to this enchanted forest. And don't lay down there. It's not a time to, to, to rest when you feel sleepy. It's a time to keep walking and pressing on with God. When you feel like, I just can't go on anymore. This has just become too hard for me. And uh, I just feel like it's a good time for a nap. It's a good time to take a year off of my Christian walk. Maybe I'll take two years off. Because, I mean, really, I'm just a young person. It doesn't really matter. Nothing. This is not the time. This is the time to keep walking with God and allow him to, to, to give you the path that you need when you get there. Hallelujah. God will provide it for you. David said, oh, you meet me as a Philistine with an armor and a spear, but I meet you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Watch, he took five stones, five fingers, he wrapped them sling in J-E-S-U-S-F-A-I-T-H. Amen. Faith in Jesus Christ is what he picked up there. And he didn't maybe think of what he was doing. Why would somebody that maybe just needed one stone sit down and pick up five? Maybe he thought I would need to have more shots. Maybe I need more. But no, God gave him an abundance of revelation to overcome the problem. Amen. He'll give you not just what you need. If you'll put it in his hands, he will give you more than what you need because he cares about you and he loves you and he's watching over you. Amen. Every man, Brother Brandon would say, every man today knows that he can take the name of Jesus Christ and meet any foe at any place, any time, and the foe will be defeated. Hallelujah. He says that any man, are you with me? Any young person knows that if you will take the name of Jesus, not if you'll come up and the pastor take the name of Jesus, not if you come up and the deacon take the name of Jesus. No, if you take the name of Jesus, you can defeat any foe, any time, any place, because you have faith in the name of Jesus Christ. 
He says, I met witch doctors, I met demons of all sorts, and have never been, never seen a time but when they bow to the name of Jesus Christ. He says, I tell you, friends, when the church lost the name and the power of the name of Jesus, they lost it. That's when the church is defeated. That's why that Trinitarian doctrine, it's so evil. Because it takes the name out of the church. It says it's just a father, it's just a son, it's just the Holy Ghost. And we say, well, what does it really matter? It matters. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And the devil's defeated in anywhere, in any place, in any circumstance by the name of Jesus. We need to know what is the right place that we have power. He says when he got down there, he's talking about Moses. And this is the message witnesses, I believe. Witnesses, 1954, he says, when he got down there, Moses got down to Egypt. If you ever got the stick out of his hand, they'd have had him whipped. My goodness, think how simple it was. How could Goliath beat David? Just get the sling out of his hand. But as long as he had a sling, maybe Goliath was down there making his boast when he seen this boy come down. And bend down by the stream and start picking up five stones. He's probably looking over down there going, what's he doing? Because remember, you got an army up on one side, an army up on the other side of the mountain. Down the middle is a valley. Where do streams run? In a valley. And so he's down in the valley making his boast. And here he comes down. And he's kind of looking at him maybe going, what's his problem? He realizes too late. Oh, he's here for me. Same thing with Moses. If he'd just gotten the stick out of his hand, he would have been whipped. But in the stick was where the power laid. If they'd ever got the stick out of his hand, they would have had whipped. Remember, it was the stick that smote the rock. It was the stick that he held in the air. It was the stick he held over the water. It was God's judgment rod. What was the stick in Moses' hand? The name of Jesus Christ is to... What what the stick was in Moses' hand is what the name of Jesus Christ is to a born-again church. Get it away from there, and it's gone. Say, oh, the the name. Take the name of Jesus, child of sorrow and of woe. When temptations come around you, breathe that holy name in prayer. Watch demons scattered. Yes, sir, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. David picked up those five stones, J-E-S-U-S-F-A-I-T-H. Something has to happen. I tell you, when he turned that stone loose, Brother Bradham says the Spirit of God caught into that stone and slew Goliath. Why didn't he need five? It wasn't him. The Holy Ghost caught that stone, guided it right to where it was supposed to go. David went down there and cut his head off, and all the others weakened down. Think about that. David slew one. Remember I said there was two that went out. A shield bearer. Where was he? He seen Goliath fall, and he ran. He dropped the shield and turned tail and run. Why didn't he protect Goliath? David, with nothing but a sling and a stick, was able to go down to Goliath unhindered, pull the sword out, and cut off his head. Where's the other dude? He's gone. It's a bluff. That's how the devil wins. He's a bluff. When you believe his bluff. 
That's all he has. That's all he can do. But he says he went down there and all the others weakened down. All the other Philistines that looked so big up on that mountain and they thought, oh yes, we're going to take you out. All of a sudden they go, oh no. And they weakened down. And all the armies of Israel took courage. And they cut the Philistines plumb to the walls. That's what it means tonight. Somebody's who got an, somebody who's got an experience to stand up and to prove the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the rest of them will take courage, and they'll come. That's what it takes still tonight. One young person to stand up and show by an experience that Jesus Christ is still alive today. The rest of the young people will take courage. Amen, doesn't matter what situation they're in. He even says some of you on cots and wheelchairs, just try it once and watch the whole group follow you. Praise be to God. Take courage. Go on, little fellow. One time, didn't you didn't have much, one little fellow much, didn't have much of an experience. He just knew that he was an Israelite. He's talking about a young man where there's one thing, one verse written about him in the Bible. His name was Shamgar. He knew one thing, he says, I'm an Israelite. And these are Philistines, and this is my land. That ought to have been all it needed for the armies of Israel to defeat the armies of the Philistines. But they found themselves cowering in fear. But Shamgar took that one little revelation. You might not have much of a revelation, but you might be able to say, I know one thing, and that's that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. And that's all you need to defeat the enemy. Hallelujah, that's all Shamgar had, but he went out there on that one little revelation that he had, and 600 Philistines died that day. Oh my, my, here it is again. The only thing we can do is sit back and let them take it again. No, 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 no. Don't sit back and let the Philistines take their things. That's the way the devil will do. He'll let you build up a little bit. Oh my. They let Shamgar just build up a little bit. He grew all that wheat. He thought, I've got enough now for my family for the winter. We're going to be okay. Then in they came. But eventually he got that one little revelation. That's the way Satan is. That's why we preach on something called cycles. Because Satan's that way. He lets you build up a little bit. Until you feel like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good now. I'm a Christian now. Praise God, I'm overcoming these things. And all of a sudden he comes in and it's like, flat on your face but instead of falling flat on your face next time why don't you say no I'm a Christian just breathe that holy name in prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I refuse to go through this again Satan I you are offense to me and I resent you coming in the name of Jesus Christ depart from me is it really that easy it's really that easy just take the name of Jesus. See, really, Brother Andrew, my problem is things that I do on my phone. Is it really that easy if I'm just looking up all the things on my phone going, in the name of Jesus? I'm, no, 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 no. You've got to believe what you're saying. If you're going to say, Satan, get behind me, you've got to put the thing down. If the same spirit that dwelled in Christ, that raised him up from the dead, dwells in you, it will also quicken your mortal body. It'll bring your flesh subject to the word of God. If you want that Holy Ghost in you to grow, allow your flesh to be brought subject. That little still small voice within you that says, don't do that. Listen to it next time. All right.
Satan likes to do that to us. Let us get built up a little bit, a little something, then come and knock the props out from under you. The reason, you let, the reason it works is because you let him do it. The reason is you let him do it. Let me just verify this. Hold on a second. Is that what that says? Right there. The reason is you let him do it. That's from the message witnesses. 1954, yeah, March 3rd, yeah. Brown says, the reason you and I, we let him do it. Oh, but the devil, he, you let him. I let him. We let him. That's all. He's just a bluff. He has no legal right. You say, well, I've heard this all my life, Brother Andrew. Good. Now believe it. If you got an experience of God, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he stripped Satan of every privilege that he ever had. Christ robbed him of everything that he had, took it all away from him. Yes, sir, he robbed him and stripped him and gave the power to the church. That's you, young person. Now go out and do the same thing that I did, he said. He took the sword out of Satan's hand and put it in your hand. The only way Satan has a sword is when you give it to him. I'm just, I'm just helping train you for battle. You don't walk into battle with the, with the sword handle facing your enemy saying, here, take it. No, you have the handle. You say, you want it? Yeah, you're going to get the business end. Because this end over here is my end. And I'm going to use it, and you're not going to take it out of my hand. You're not going to disarm me. See, David, let's get back into forgotten heart player. David had been used before. This wasn't the first time David was used. David had been used before and completely forgotten about. David played the harp, right, in the king's court. David went from being the shepherd to being the king's personal musician. What a career advancement. And went from being with a bunch of stinky animals to being right in the, the highest court in the entire land. And I am the musician. And I'm having good results. Remember, he's playing the harp and the evil spirit's leaving Saul. What he's doing, he's doing a good job of. But somehow, and no fault of his own, his career takes this weird path where he's back here with the animals, being a shepherd again. Completely forgotten about. It's not a very great career trajectory. I got an advancement, and now I'm right back where I started. Man, I failed. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we go, that's it, I'm done. I, I thought I had something, but nope, I'm, I'm demoted back to who I was. I give up. Not David. He's, and I know he was completely forgotten because 1 Samuel 17, 55 says, And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As my soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. 
It wasn't just Saul that forgot. Abner forgot who he was. And the king said, inquire whose son this stripling is. And 57 says, and as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. (laughs) And Saul said unto him, whose art thou, young man? And David answered, I can imagine a little bit of indignation in his voice, like, you don't remember me at all? Like, we spent a lot of time together, bro. We were there in your court. We were right there. I, I, I was right there by your throne, man. Like, I was there playing the harp for you the whole time. No, he didn't say any of those things, but I can imagine those things going through his mind. Like, what do you mean, who am I? I've been in your courts before. I've been, in your, I've been right there with you in your hardest of times. What are you talking about? Totally forgotten. And he says, I'm the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. And you think that would be a moment of like, aha, yes, I knew I recognized you. No. It's like, okay. He said, we better inquire who that guy is. It's all so blinded by his own ambition. Forgotten about it. He was forgotten by the king. But even after such a great feat of faith, the king still didn't recognize him. And you might be feeling this way right now in your life, or you might have felt this way in your life where you feel like, man, I did something for God, and now I'm right back to where I was, and I'm totally forgotten. Nobody cares. Maybe at one point you made a stand, and it seemed like at that, that, that was the point that you'd just break through, and everything would just be different. I made a stand. I, I went to a camp and I, I seemed like I broke through and now I'm right back again. Lord, I just, why? I, if I'm honest with myself, I found myself in that position before. It's like, I, Brother John Manasseh, he was telling his testimony, saying the same thing where he got to the point where he said, I eventually didn't want to give in all the way because I felt like I'm just going to fall flat on my face again. What's the point? It's the same way Christians go through that, where you feel like, God, I, you used me for this, and now I'm right back where I started, and why in the world do I have to go through all of these things? It seems like I just never seemed to get it. I made a stand, and it's like my stand was just all forgotten about. Nobody seemed to care. I did say something. Nobody even listened to me. I even got made fun of like I was the royal entertainer. I could look like this or look towards the cross over here. Preach to myself. I know this happens. I'm on the youth chat. Where someone makes a comment and they make a stand and sometimes they get made fun of. Should I turn around yet? Let's just keep looking this direction maybe. It happens. And as an individual, I know how that feels where you feel like, God, I tried. I, th- I thought I did something right, and now, why? That's the place where David was at. I tried, and now I'm back here, and all I got is my daddy telling me, here's some loaves, here's some cheese, take it to your brothers. All right. But David didn't look at this opportunity as just another battle. He didn't look at it as a chance to show off. It wasn't just another problem with a bunch of soldiers way out of line. This was an opportunity for him to get back to where he sought to be. 
This was an opportunity for David where he looked at why was he so intent on what's the reward? He said, this is my opportunity to get what I've been seeking, to get where I desire to be, to get what I've always wanted. Because I feel like God's anointed me for this and I don't understand why I'm still out here herding sheep, but I'm looking for every opportunity possible to serve God. No matter what it takes. No matter what it costs. This was his opportunity. That was his perspective. What about you? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. And whosoever shall deny me before man, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. What a thought. Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I'm come not to send peace but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's talking about, in other words, you're going to have to make stands in your own home. We say, well, my dad says this is okay, but God's telling me it's not. My brother says this is okay, or my sister says this is okay, or my friend says, or this one says no, but there's something about what God's telling me in my experience. This is why it's so important. Someone will come and say, listen, but this worked for me. Yes, but God showed me. So I can say, this sword worked for me. This helmet worked for me. This shield worked for me. This breastplate worked for me. But so David looked at it and says, I haven't proved any of that stuff, but God showed me that the slingshot works and the, and the knife works and God showed me the stick works, so I'm going to take those things with me because that's my experience. And Jesus says, you're going to have to stand on your own experience or you're going to live a life that is going to be very, very defeated trying to live it by somebody else's experience. Even mom and dad's experience, you can only go so far on that, it won't get you to overcome the enemy. That'll put you in a cycle of trying to do what's right. But when you know Jesus Christ personally, that's when overcoming comes. Oh, praise be to God. He says, a man's foes shall be those of his own household. Verse 37 says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that, but he that taketh up his cross and followeth after me, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me, is not worthy of me. Jesus really puts us in a very straight way to talk about what it's going to be to have to stand up on your experience and stand for what's right. It's not going to be easy. Hallelujah. I trust you can say amen with that. Brother Andrew, I know it's not easy. It hasn't always been easy. It's not. Sometimes it is in my own home. Sometimes it is amongst my own friends. Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes it's at school. Wherever it may be, sometimes it's not easy. But it's something that you must do. Because he says these words. He said, whosoever shall confess me before man. In other words, who will stand for me before man? I will confess before my father. Or I will stand for you in the, before my father. In other words, listen, you, you may be standing alone here. But to stand for God here and to prove his resurrection, it brings your name up in the very highest court. Not just a king's court, but the king's court. When you stand for Jesus here, you get remembered before God. Hallelujah. 
Sometimes here it's just you and everybody else is collaborating in the wrong. How could I stand like that? It was just David and David alone, the entire army of trained men with the best tactics. It was all set in perfect array, but they were all scared. It was just David. Even the king looked at him and tried to say, you can't do it. This guy's been a warrior since his youth, and you're just a youth. This is impossible. This is an impossible situation for you. It was just David. It was at least two against one, and then, but the stone hit the foreheads, forehead of Goliath, and everything changed. When he went out from Saul, the sentiment was still the same. There was still a lot of doubt from everybody else. When he went down to the brook and picked up five stones, the sentiment was still the same. When he went down and said, but the battle is the Lord's, the sentiment was still the same. But when he finally let loose the stone and it hit the giant's forehead, then it changed. And he didn't stop there at just the little crowd right there, him, Goliath, and the armor barrier. Because that's where the sentiment changed when, the, when it hit his forehead. The armor bearer dropped the armor and dropped the shield and ran. But when he stood there and held up the giant's head, now everybody saw. I love the way the scripture records it. Abner grabbed him on the way back in from the battle, pulled him into the king's tent, and he's walking the king's tent holding Goliath's head with him. The sentiment changed. There was no denying what had happened. I know that's kind of a gruesome picture for some of you, but this wasn't, there was no saying, ah, maybe it didn't really happen, maybe it was somebody else, maybe this, maybe I saw things. No, he's got a dude's head in his hand. That's the same dude I saw down there yelling at us. This is real. Oh, praise be to God. Don't stop at just a little stand. Push all the way in. Stand for what's right. Stand for what's true. And God will stand for you. Something will happen. Something will change in your life till finally you'll, people will be able to look at you and go, yeah, there's no denying. That's not the same Maxwell. Amen. He was a drum player. He was a rock and roll player. He was this. Now he don't do any of those things. Right. Something changed. It's not the same Andrew Dodd. He was a this, he was a that. But something changed. Made me who I, I'm not anymore, and there's no denying it. And I'm sure I'm thankful to the Lord. David would write in Psalms 92. You still with me? Amen. Do we need to stand up and stretch? Or are we doing okay? You know, I'll do jumping jacks together. I'm not jumping, Brother Andrew. I could, but I don't want to be the only one doing that. But I had to make a stand. All right. Here we are. All right, got you laughing anyways. We're good. We're back in it now. All right. I've only been like 50 minutes, so. 
I, I know I preached a youth service like two hours or two and a half hours. My goodness, that was something. God bless you guys. And girls. Psalms 92 verse 7 says, When the wicked spring up as the grass, when all the workers of iniquity do flourish. You ever felt that way? These people are wicked people. They're workers of iniquity, but they're flourishing. He says, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. Hmm. Seems like they're flourishing, but it's for a season. Because it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. <laughs> Hallelujah. A horn represents protection. My horn, my protection shall be exalted like the best thing you can think about a unicorn or a rhinoceros back in the day. I'm pretty sure what's that referring to. All that the rhinoceros has for protection is what? His horn. Other than that, he's a big, fat, lumbering animal. He's got some skin, but there's things that can get, get past that, that thick skin. But the horn is his protection. And he says, that horn, my horn, my protection will be like that. My God will be like that to me. That, that no matter what comes against me, it will be more powerful. Because all of the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. And I will be anointed with, like, with fresh oil. Amen. I have protection. Psalms 8, 18 verse, verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from mine enemies. You have a protection. What is your protection? When you call on the name of the Lord. When you breathe that holy name in prayer. When you call the Lord Jesus Christ on the scene. That is your protection. That will scatter the workers of iniquity. And yes, for the moment, it will seem like, are you sure this is working? But absolutely, it is working because God is an on-time God. He doesn't leave you in such a place of desolation, but rather, he's there to save you right on time. We know the stories and we can recite them about the Hebrew children when it seemed like, man, God, when in the world are you going to come on the scene? But it wasn't until the guards were already dead. That God came down in the midst of the fire. It wasn't until it looked like it was absolutely hopeless and impossible. Brother Brown, we're talking about in the darkest hour when it seems like all hope is lost. That's when the Holy Ghost comes on the scene and turns things back around again. Amen. Our protection is to be able to call on the name of the Lord. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 55 verse 16 says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Hallelujah, Psalms 55, 16 says, there, For there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Hallelujah. In other words, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Greek too. It doesn't matter who it is. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Praise be to God of Romans 10, verse 12 and 13. And then verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
1 Samuel 17, again, verse 51, as I said, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. I love that because how fast did that shield bearer run? He ran at him. He slew the, 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 the put up the sling, slung the, the stone, the rock. The Holy Spirit got in it, guided it right to his forehead. Boom, knocked him down. And he ran down there. Imagine the terror. The shield bearer went before You say, come here for a second, Marshall. Nathan, why don't you stand right in the middle there? Why don't you stand right here? Actually, I'm going to get you to sit down. You're too big. Sit down. Brother Jeremy, come up here and stand here. Thank you. Turn around and face Brother Nathan. You're my shield bearer. How you doing? Good. I'll be Goliath. I'll be the bad guy. That's David over there. Now, don't worry. He's going to run at us, but I got you. Okay? I got, I'm backing you up. Don't ever be afraid. Okay? Start running. Now he's got something to be scared of. Nathan's a lot bigger than he is. He's about to get run down. What's he going to do? If I were him, I would run. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Nathan. Thank you, Brother Jeremy. It's that simple. All of a sudden you feel like, yeah, he's behind me. He's got me. We're good. But all of a sudden he hears this loud. I didn't want to fall over and make a thump. Thump. What just happened? I'm out of here. Terrified. And here's this little boy all the time just running at him going, this is insane. I don't know what to make out of all of this. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Doesn't matter what it looks like to everybody else, it will confuse the enemy every time. I heard it the other day, I think it was Wednesday night, a brother preaching down in Brother John Andy's church. I was listening to the service. He says, What really confuses the devil is when you switch between your flesh and who you really are. Because when you're in your flesh, you're just like anyone else and you get sick. And the devil feels like, yeah, I'm big and I got you. Then all of a sudden, out from that fleshly existence comes something from the inside that says, but by his stripes, I am healed. And the devil goes, where in the world did that come from? I had you down. You were stuck in bed. You weren't moving. You were coughing. You were sneezing. You were poor. You canceled work. You and all. And now all of a sudden, you're getting up out of bed. You're claiming the word of God. What am I going to do? Hallelujah. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, and then all the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came into the valley, into the gates of Ekron, and wounded, the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of, of Shuram, and even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. Oh, praise be to God. I feel like, Lord, I want a blessing. Good, go fight the devil. You want a blessing? Fight the devil. You get to spoil his tents. Stand for what's true. Take God at his word. Something comes into the youth group, into the church. It's time to make a stand. Don't wait for somebody else. I want to encourage you. I'd love to have a church full of little Davids. A youth group full of Davids. 
Not your physical name be David, but just like the attitude of David. Willing to make a stand when nobody else will. Don't be discouraged because in the past, you, in the past you made a stand and it just seemed like, well, maybe Brother Andrew should get this one. Hey, we all get that way sometimes, discouraged. Maybe the leaders need to take this one. That was the state of the whole army. Someone else will do it. But God had to bring someone from the outside. Outside the army to have courage. David may have been forgotten by the king and the courtiers, army, the generals, maybe even his brothers, but the Lord didn't forget about David. God's eye was upon David. He was the one way before he was even anointed that Samuel came and said, the Lord's looking for one after his own heart. Isaiah 49, verse 14 to 16 says, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me. Who's Zion? The bride. The Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord shall forget, has forgotten me. He says, can a woman forget her suckling child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. There's a multifaceted scripture. He's talking on one hand about Jerusalem, but he's also talking about the new Jerusalem, the bride. I'll never forget you. God will never forget you. A mother may for a brief moment forget her child. This doesn't mean that she permanently forgets. But rather, regardless of how important a child is to a mother, especially a suckling child to a mother, how much in need of her the child is, she also has other things to occupy her mind. When the child's laid to rest, she gets busy with other things. Enough to temporarily forget about her child. It just happens in motherhood. Doesn't mean you've totally forgotten about them and you don't care about them. It just means you know the child's sleeping and you're occupied with other things. It's not on your mind anymore. But now he says, but I'll never forget you. In other words, you are perpetually on the mind of God. Continually on the mind of God. He is never busy with other things. God didn't forget about David. He was always thinking about David. The king was so busy with other things, he couldn't even remember who David was. But God never forgot. And God works in everyday things. Why do I got to bring this bread and cheese to my brothers? Man, what a drag. I don't want to have to go down there. Eliab doesn't like me very much. But now I gotta go down there, see him and Adonijah, I think, or and 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 Shama, his three oldest brothers, and go down to them and bring this bread to them and go to the captains, figure out who the captains are. Who's that little brother? You know, who who who's who's your boss? I got cheese for him too. It's kind of embarrassing. And then who's your boss? Oh, I got cheese for him too. Papa brought me with many cheeses. Just everyday things. I feel like, man, I really got to do this. Dad says, take the trash out. Oh, man, I don't want to take the trash out. 
On your way home, could you stop and pick up, well, seeing as we're on the subject, stop and pick up some cheese. Man, why do I got to do this? Next thing you know, you're in the grocery store. And there's somebody that hasn't been in church in two years. Now you got a decision to make. Am I going to talk to them? Say, hey, how you been? I'm like, nope, I'm here for cheese. I didn't want to pick up cheese. I came a hard day at work, and I got to get cheese. I got to get cheese. I got to cheese. I don't care if it's on sale or no on sale. Slam the door, and away I go. And the person looks over and says, I'm happy I don't go to that church anymore. Whew. Just in everyday things that God operates in. You're like, my goodness, what about how, how could that other testament work out where you stopped, went over there and said, hey, how you doing? It's been a long time I've seen you. Man, I really miss you in church. Oh, man, I've really been thinking about coming back. But, oh, we'd love to have you. Why don't you come on Sunday? Next thing you know, they're on fire for God. How'd you get on fire for God? Brother Mark met me at Superstore. Now your name's associated. He did something great for God. Through an everyday thing. He did something marvelous for God. You brought someone back into church. Hallelujah. We're always looking for who can I go for coffee with? I think, brother, Nathan, sister, Rochelle, your mom, it was at a superstore. My wife ran into your mom. Stopped by. Sister Sylvia, how you been? Sister Sylvia, how you been? I haven't seen you around. Why don't you guys come back? We'd love to have you back. It was just that simple. A couple weeks later, here you all are, back in the house of the Lord. I don't know where they were before that. They were serving the Lord in a different way. Now they're back over here. Just a simple conversation, bringing someone back in the house. It's amazing how God moves through simplicity. Because God never forgot about the Dienkalu family. God never forgot. God never forgot about the Parazoc family. God never forgot about the Whitmire family. God never forgot about the Dole family, the Callahan family. God never forgot about the Burrett family. God never forgot about you, Brother Paul. God never forgot about any one of you. You're engraven on the palms of his hands. You're perpetually on his mind. The great creator, Savior God, is faithfully, faithfully working amongst his own right now as the great shepherd of the sheep. His very existence is for his own. He loves them and cares for them. His eye is ever upon them. This is from the Laodicean church age. He says, and when the word says that your lives are hid with Christ in God, it means exactly what it says. Oh, I'm so glad that my God abides faithfully. He's true to himself. He won't lie. He is true to the word. He will back it up. He is true to us. He will not lose one of us. But raise us up in the last day. I'm resting. I'm so glad I'm resting on his faithfulness. Verse Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So no matter where you're at, you might be the heart player tonight, feeling like, yeah, I'm where I want to be. You might be in the shepherd. You might have never done anything for God and feeling like I'm never going to do anything. God's eyes upon you. 
You might be up here as a harp player, but God's eye is upon you. You might have come back down and gone like, man, uh, I thought I had something, but now I'm a nobody. Everybody's forgotten about me. God has not forgotten about you. God knows exactly where you're at, and he has a certain time and a certain place because he's got a place for you in his symphony that only you can play. Only you can do that part because his eye is even on the sparrow, and you are so much more important than the sparrows are to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says, and when they had removed him, Saul, it says, he raised up and up to him David to be the king, of whom he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, with whom, with, which shall fulfill all my will. There was something about David that God loved and called him a man after his own heart. And the thing that he loved about him was he had the faith to perform the will of God. In other words, when God was moving him, he moved. When God moved on his heart, he listened. When God was speaking to him, he understood. He made sure that whatever the Lord Jesus wanted, he made sure that he was able to stand on his experience and not somebody else's, but stand on his own experience and do what the Lord called him to do. Amen. Can we go a little further? I'm over time now. All right. I'm over an hour. This is the after hours, we like to say. You still with me? All right. Praise be to God. Sometimes I hear, Brother Andrew, we don't want to wear the young people out. I don't think it's possible. You guys are awesome. Hebrews chapter 11, verse, or read verse 1 to 3. What did God love about David? Say, oh, he was a good songwriter. All right, well, that's a blessing, but it wasn't what caught his attention. He was a good harp player, but that wasn't his place. It wasn't what God was calling him to. That was a season. God had something better for him in mind. It was such much more personal and much more simple than that. And we know in turning to Hebrews chapter 11, Brother Andrew, I know exactly where you're going. Of course, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are made by things which do not appear. In other words, you look into the mind of God and you look back right to the beginning of creation, the thing that science has probed at and probed at and probed at, and there's so many different schools of science of how the world was created, and God simply spoke it and believed his own word. The substance faith of God, Jesus Christ, came out, Brother Brandon would say, the Logos came out and began to brood and begin to bring to pass the word of God. Hallelujah. We won't go any further down that. That was Wednesday's subject, and I want to add to that. But, but God spoke and believed his own word. God had faith. And when he looked down at David, he seen somebody that could do that. He seen somebody that had faith to speak and believed it. David knew the anointing oil was on him. Just glitched. 
Amen. It didn't make any difference to him what anybody else said. The Philistine will be like the barren lion. So here I come. He predicted it before it happened. What did he do? He killed the bear. He killed the lion. He knocked the lion down with what? With a slingshot. He took the knife and then the bear and the lion. He killed the lion with a knife. And that's the same thing he done with Goliath. He predicted it. He told Saul, they'll be like one of them. That wasn't just David trying to make up a nice story and trying to sound proud and trying to sound boastful. No, it was faith talking. That David spoke in faith saying, no, he'll be like one of these. It'll either be like the bear or it'll be like the lion, one or the other. He spoke the word that it would be and then went forward to make it be fulfilled. I hope you catch that about faith, young person. You don't just speak something and then sit back and go, all right, if it's, if it's really God, it'll just come to pass. If God moves on your heart to speak something, now you've got to take footsteps. Because what's the famous three words that the Israelites needed to understand when they were conquering? Footsteps is possession. If they would have just got those three words down pat, more than two of them would have made it over but they didn't have enough faith to grasp three words. Footsteps is possession. The word spoke it. It already said, go take the land. Now they had to do something for it. They didn't stand there on the side of the Jordan River. They didn't just cross over the Jordan River and come right across the Jordan and say, okay, now everybody leave, please. God said, this is my land, so now you all have to go. Excuse me, you're not listening to me. I said you had to leave. No, when they came across the road, there was immediately a battle at Jericho, immediately a battle at Ai, immediately another battle, immediately another battle. Why? Because they had to possess the land. They had to put down the footsteps. They had to conquer it. That's why Caleb could come and say, give me my mountain, because that was the mountain that he spied out when he went across with the 12 spies, and he walked around that mountain, and he said, this is my land. I like this. I like these giant grapes. I like this huge vineyard. This is going to be mine. And what was the mountain full of? Giants, full of them. There was, it was of a, the inhabitants of that mountain was of, of the lineage of giants, and they were down in that mountain. But Caleb, it didn't matter to him who was there because he knew the word of God said, wherever your foot soles or your feet shall tread, I give it to you. And he said, this is in the promised land, and I've tread it, so it's mine. It doesn't matter how many giants come against me, one at a time, two at a time, three at a time, five at a time, ten at a time, it doesn't matter. I'm going to conquer it. Hallelujah. He said, God will not give you more than you can handle. Absolutely. How do I know that to be true? Because you are more than an overcomer by the word of God. And every devil in hell is conquered by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if every devil in hell comes against you. You can handle it. Oh, praise be to God. Oh, I feel like I'm drowning, Brother Andrew. All you got to do is take God at his word and have faith in what he said. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Praise be to God. He'll move on your behalf. Oh, my. He spoke it and he moved forward. He spake and took over the situation that day. Oh, if there's any, if there's ever was a time a man could speak, it's now. 
there ever was a time a man could speak, it's now. Peter never cried when he found out there was a man that had faith enough to be healed laying at the gate called Beautiful. Peter didn't call an all-night prayer meeting and go, all right, there's a guy down there that feels like he's got the faith to be healed. But you know, Jesus walked by him all the time and he didn't heal him. So we better seek the mind of God and make sure that he's supposed to be healed. No, Peter knew who he was. He knew the power is in me and that this man's got faith to be healed. Brother, you don't even need to pray. Just take up your bed and walk. Go home rejoicing. What's the problem? What did they see? They saw that in Peter and the people began to drag out their sick and their lame and their hall. And said, just let the shadow of Peter cross over them. Why? Because they had faith. Hallelujah. That healing is the children's bread. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes we get too caught up trying to figure things out. We're too caught up trying to figure out why is so-and-so sick? Why is so-and-so sick with cancer? Why did God take so-and-so home? Why did God take that person home? Why is somebody else still sick? God is in control. God knows exactly what he's doing. Healing is the children's bread. How it comes and when it comes is not for me to decide, but it is the children's bread. It is the will of God. It's for us to have faith and say, Lord Jesus, it's your will for me to be healed, for sister so-and-so to be healed, for brother Luke to be healed. It's God's will, and we're just going to stand on his word and say, Lord, give him the faith to claim what is rightfully his, because Satan is just a bluff. Oh, praise be to God. That's what he tries to do all the time. He tries to do it to each one of us. He tries to do it to you, Brother Luke. He tries to do it to everybody to try and get them caught and say, I'm the giant and it's just me against you. No, you're just a bluff, giant. You might be big. You might look bad. You might look angry. You might look like it's a hopeless situation, but the battle's not mine. The battle is the Lord's and he will overcome for me. Hallelujah. God seen a man in David that day, somebody that would fulfill the word of God. If you look at 1 Samuel 27, verse 6 to 9, David is down in Ziklag, and he's, and he's, and he's living down there for a moment. And, and when, when Achish gave him Ziklag that day, there, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Gershurites and the Jezrites and the Amalekites and whose nations were the old inhabitants of the land. Where did David get permission to do this? Where did he get it? He looked back according to the words of Joshua and said, hold on a second here, guys. These Gershites, these Amalekites, God told Joshua to tell us to kick them out. No one's done it yet. So you know what? We're not going to be bored down here in Ziklag. We're not just going to be a bunch of family men. We're going to be warriors. We're going to go do the work that they couldn't do a few hundred years ago. Maybe a couple hundred years ago. I don't think it was really that long. They've been in the land for a long time. They've been judge after judge after judge after judge after judge, and now there's a king for all this time. And what's Saul doing? Why wasn't Saul doing this? You've got a king in Israel with, a, with an army, and he's busy chasing his own son-in-law around. Finally, David says, I've had enough of this. I'm going down to Ziklag where I'll go to fight your battles for you. 
Hallelujah. He got a revelation of the word of God. God saw that in David to see, here's a man that wants nothing more than to fulfill my will. He wants to do what I've fulfilled the word of God, what I've called you to do. That's what he's desiring to do. And God loved that and said, that's a man after my own heart. I already spoke the word hundred or so years ago and to, to drive these people out. And he's going down there going, what are we going to do, man? Well, let's, let's conduct some raiding parties. And as a matter of fact, we're going to do it the way God said to do it back then. We're going to kill men, women, children. We're going to leave nobody alive, not a single witness, because they shouldn't be here anymore. They're on my land. Hallelujah. The lands of the Philistines as well was something that God had given to them. It was a part of Israel too. They hadn't driven them out either, so when he moved in there to Ziklag, he was still in the promised land. <laughs> we want to look at it and go, well, he's outside. He's outside the promised land. No, he was still in the promised land. That was still a part of the original that God had given them. So he went down there and he said, okay, now listen. He says, and to this day, it pertains to the kings of Judah. He possessed it. He did that. And David smote the land and left neither man or women alive. He took the sheep. He took the oxen. He took the asses. He took the camels. He took their apparel. He returned and came to Achish. Oh, my. And Achish asked him, what you been up to, David? Oh, king, I've been killing your enemies. Which technically was true. But more than the enemy of the Philistines, they were the enemies of Israel. He was out there performing the will of God. God loved that about him. He just walked in the word of God, possessing the land that his forefathers failed to conquer and inhabit. It was David fulfilling the will of God, his word. And God looked upon him and said, that is a man after my own heart. When we can walk in the word of God, God looks at that and says, that's me. That young daughter, that's me. That young son, that's me. He's fulfilling my word. He's putting on my image. He's taking up the sword of the word. He's picking up the shield of faith. He's not just memorizing it. There's a shield of faith. There's a sword of the word. There's a helmet of salvation. There's a breastplate of righteousness. Have my feet shod with preparation gospel of peace. Have my loins girded about with truth. Have all these things, praying always with all prayer and supplication. All right, we got we got the mechanics all in order. But no, he's really doing it. He's not just convinced there is a sword of the word. He's in possession of the sword of the word, and he's slaying those demons, those things that have crept into his life and tried to bluff him and tried to tell him he'll never be free of it. He's taking me at my word. That's me. That's a man after my own heart. That's a woman after my own heart. They're just like me. When I was here on earth and Satan come to me and said, oh, you're hungry. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And he overcame. He picked up the sword of the word and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Amen. They're just like me. Praise be to God. How it blesses the heart of God. Young people. That'll fulfill his will. Can I give you one more? Then I'm done. Promise you. Turn to Numbers chapter 25. We'll turn to this one. Numbers chapter 25, verse 6. 
God is so specific about this scripture, it amazes me. Numbers 25 and verse 6 says, And behold, we know that this is a story where Balaam had deceived the children of Israel with his doctrine, and they'd come out and gone to the feast of Baal Peor. And now, as all these things are going on, it says, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. Think about the boldness of this for a minute. He's not even trying to hide it anymore. He's living his sin in the sight of the prophet. Right in the sight, I'll say this, right in the sight of the pastor going, eh, what does it matter? In the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. What an irreverence. Ignorantly, right in the midst of the church, living an openly sinful life, thinking it's not a big deal. The next verse. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand. Now I want you to understand this. Who in the world is Phinehas? The grandson of Aaron. Aaron was there. Moses was there. Eliezer was there. Joshua was there. Caleb was there. Great men that he could say they should do it. I mean, if anyone's going to do this, Joshua should do it. But here comes up previously nobody. Stands up, and everyone around him is still weeping and crying, waiting on God. And he maybe he's looking over to the left and the right and left, going, Well, I guess it's me. And he gets up. Maybe the person next to him kind of goes, Hey, get back down. What do you think you're doing? Look at what we're all doing. What do you think you're doing? No, no. I, I got to do something here. Stands up in the midst of the congregation. He rises up. And when finished the son of Eliezer, and he rose up and took a javelin in his hand. The next verse says, And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through their belly, through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of of Israel. Nobody else was standing like this but one previously unknown man made a stand. It says, and those that died of the plague were 20 and 4,000. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I will give unto him my covenant of peace. Now here comes the blessings of God because somebody made a stand on their conviction and did what was right. And he says, and, he, and I will give him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it 
and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. God looked at, at Phineas and seen something that he loved and couldn't help but just put all of his blessings right on him. He said, this person, this, this young man did the right thing. Amen. And he went down there and he says, and the name... I get through that. Zealous and, and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain. This is where it gets so specific, which is amazing to me. Even that was slain with the Midianitish woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, the prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. The son of a prince of the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman. You ever ask yourself, why is this recorded? It's important. For us. Of the Midianite woman was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, which was the head over a people, a chief in Midian, son of a prince, son of, the daughter of a chief, that did something blatantly sinful right before all the great men of Israel. Well, it was a sacred time. They were weeping and crying unto the Lord. If you look at what these names mean, Zimri means musical. Cosby means false. A false musical. God has a symphony. Each one of us, it's his will being played out. It's God's great symphony. Each one of us have a part to play. And here, right in the midst of the camp, right before everyone, came a false beat. That God said, that's not my symphony. They were coming in and they were setting a tone. Bringing it right into the congregation. This thing and saying, it doesn't matter. But God said, that's a false beat. That's not my will. And when it comes to a false beat, God it makes sure that it does not bring forth any seed. He came and he put the javelin through her belly. Right through where the seed would grow. It said, this beat stopped right here. Has no place in my house. In other words, these were lukewarm believers. Someone who's cold would at least stay out of the church and say, no, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm sinful, but I'm out here. But this was a lukewarm person that said, I'm, a, I'm the son of a prince. This is a daughter of a chief, and it doesn't matter. Praise God, we went to this great feast. We've received this new doctrine of Balaam. We're having a wonderful time. We're just going to come in and bring her into the church, and everyone's going to enjoy it, and we're just going to have a, a great time in the house of God, and it'll be a wonderful rejoicing, and we're going to have children, and we're just going to mix it all together. And God said, no, because one person picked it up, said, not here. Lukewarm. It matters to God. Young people, I would to God that you were Phineas's, David's, Shamgar's. Someone that's willing to be zealous for God. Not someone that would be willing to be lukewarm and say, it doesn't really matter. But make a stand. 
for what God's called you to make a stand for. And God moves on your heart. Stand for the truth. Be zealous, therefore, the Bible says, and repent. Let's stand to our feet. God has a symphony. You're all a part of it. It would be like coming up here and everybody has their part to play and we're all going to sing Amazing Grace. And all of a sudden someone gets on the beatbox and just... It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the rhythm right. God has a beat going on right now. The symphony saying, there's a rapture. We're right in the end time. We're right on the cusp of crossing over. The last thing we want to be is someone that says, we'll just live any way we want. I don't need to be sincere right now. I can just go out and do whatever I like to do. I don't have to really give my heart to God. It doesn't fit the beat. God has a symphony. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of it. Are you willing to say, Lord, I, I, I want to be a part. I want to I play my part, whatever it is, whether it be simple, whether it be great. I, I want to play my part in everything that I can do. If we could just sing that song together, the potter's hand. Beautiful Lord. Wonderful Savior, I know for sure, all of my days are held in your hands, crafted into your perfect plan. You gently call me into your presence. Guiding me by your Holy Spirit, teach me, dear Lord, to live all my life through your eyes. I'm captured by your holy calling. Set me apart.
Stop. 